Good morning. Welcome once again to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. Glad that you're here with us this morning. We are continuing our study in, in, in the book of Genesis and our study in the life of Abraham. Um, just to give a little bit of context for where we're at in, in this uh, study, the last couple weeks we looked at what I think of as sort of one of the high points of the life of Abraham, and that is the birth of Isaac. Last week we looked particularly at how God was going to preserve that seed of promise, even in the ex expulsion of Ishmael from the family. But nevertheless, this, this was a high point, this birth of Isaac and the weaning of Isaac. And then next week, or not next week because I'll be away next week, but uh, in, uh, in the week following, we're going to be looking at maybe the next large or high point in the story of Abraham, and that is where Abraham's faith is tested, and he brings Isaac up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice what the Lord provides. He gives us a picture of the atoning work uh, of Christ himself. And in between these two sort of high peaks, we have this strange story of this foreign king that we've already met once, whose name is Abimelech, and a treaty uh, that, that, that Abraham makes with Abimelech. Right there, between these two high mountaintops, is this somewhat um, enigmatic story. And I think there's a, there's a, might I say, a temptation. I don't know if that's the right word, because I'm not all that tender. But there might be, as we're reading God's word, temptation to kind of skim over and move on. To kind of pass forward from this seemingly obscure story about a treaty that Abraham makes. Um... It doesn't feel like it has much meat on the bones. Like, what are we going to actually learn from this? Um, but I want to remind us uh, that this is important stuff. This is God's word for us today that he has given to us. And that it is for us and not just some obscure passage left for some reason in the Bible, but it's meant for our good. And so with that, why don't we turn to God's words in Genesis chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 22 to 34. Genesis 21, verses 22 uh, to 34. This is God's word. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have and, and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech, Abimelech's servants had seen, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me. And I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? And he said, These seven lambs, ewe lambs, you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. 
Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you've given to us for our good, for training in righteousness, for revealing the wonders of your love in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask that you would help us to understand it. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to be faithful in proclaiming it. Uh, Lord, forgive my own weakness, my own sin, my own brokenness, and use me for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys uh, finds himself in prison. You'll remember this. He was with Silas. Uh, I won't go into the whole story. You can read about it in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. But you'll remember that while in prison, he and Silas were singing hymns to God. They were praying and singing hymns. And suddenly there was a large earthquake, you'll remember. And in the midst of this earthquake, the, the prison doors were opened. And the jailer woke and he saw that this had happened and he was about to take his life. And then he heard those voices. And he heard Paul say, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And it caused, no, in no uncertain terms, the, the quaking of this jailer. He came before Paul and Silas and fell on his face and he couldn't understand what was going on. But he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He saw something there in Paul and Silas. He had heard the message that was preached for which Paul and Silas were being imprisoned. And he saw Paul and Silas in their witness and he was overwhelmed and said, what must I do to be saved? And of course, Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And he goes uh, home and his whole household is baptized and there's they're, they're, they're brought into the people of God. And later on, the magistrates uh, said, you know, let these men go. They obviously uh, made a name for themselves there. They said, let these men go. And the jailer reported what Paul had said. And so they went out in peace. And this is a remarkable story of God's you know, sovereign work. But it's also a remarkable story of the peace that's brought about by the faithful witness of Paul and Silas in that prison. And I want us to think about that as we move to our text and we consider what's going on here in, in the life of Abraham with Abimelech and the influence that he has uh, on the world around him, and particularly in this case uh, in Abimelech's life. And my hope is that you all will consider that promised blessing that was given to Abraham, that I think was exhibited in Paul and Silas in that prison, but it's something we can all exhibit ourselves, which is this. The Lord has blessed us immensely in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are called to be a blessing because of that. Through us, to go out and bless, uh, to bring about peace, to bring about the good news of the gospel. And so this is my hope for us that the Lord 
has blessed you in order that you might be a blessing. That's what I want us to consider today as we look at this text. And there are three things I want to look at as we consider this. The first is, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Again, Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. And then again, the Apostle Paul, my second point, I'm drawing a lot from Paul. Uh, my second point is this, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. And then finally, my last point is, for the everlasting Lord is on our side. For the everlasting Lord is on our side. So with that, why don't we look at God's word here. First point is this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Just as a reminder about the story of Abimelech, this is not the first time that we've met Abimelech. Uh, he is king in this southern uh, region, just sort of in the, the, the desert area. And uh, he was, you'll remember, he lived in Gerar, which was part of a city in the Negev. And here was Abraham sojourning in this southern area of the land of Canaan. And you'll remember that they met because Abraham was very worried that uh, this king was going to take uh, Sarah. So he told Sarah, you know, just tell me you're my sister. Right? You remember this story. But the Lord came to Abimelech and said, don't touch Sarah lest you die. And then Abimelech goes to Abraham and says, what in the world were you doing? You know, Abimelech feared the Lord, but Abraham failed to fear the Lord. That, that story that we looked at. Um, at the end of that story, uh, Abimelech had been um, given a curse of some ailment along with the, the women of his house were all, uh, their wombs were all closed. And you remember that Abraham prayed for Abimelech and it was, uh, his, his ailment, whatever that ailment was, was relieved and the wombs of the women were opened. Remember, that was what happened right before Isaac was born. That was the story right before Isaac was born. Um, now this is the current context. Isaac has been born. They had a huge party for him, probably around the age three when he was weaned. And you have to kind of wonder, was Abimelech at the party? Now, I don't know that. I, I can't. Did he hear about the birth of Isaac? I'm guessing yes. This must have been widespread news. That the, 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 the laughter of the world that this Sarah, who was 90 years old, gave birth to a son. Here was this amazing, amazing truth. And, and Abraham and Sarah have a party to celebrate the wonders of God's grace in the birth of Isaac. That was what had, had just happened. And you can imagine... As the story went out amongst the people of the land, this great party, this great uh, blessing on Abraham, you can imagine what Abimelech was thinking. Man, who is this guy that he answers, that God answers his prayer? And not only that, but God miraculously gives them a child. And I think this is what leads Abimelech to desire a treaty with Abraham, because he sees God's hand. In Abraham's life. I entitled the point here, number one, as if God is for us, who can be against us? 
again, that comes from Romans chapter 8. And in that passage of Romans 8, Paul is considering the incredible blessing of God in redeeming us according to his unfailing love, because of which we can look at everything in our life, all the sufferings, all the trials, all the difficulties, even death itself, and say none of it compares to the love of God that is sure, that is forever, right? Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the context in which Paul writes those words. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder this. Do our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our peers, I wonder if they recognize or see that wondrous love of God in our lives and through our lives. Do we bear testimony to it? Does it cause our friends, our neighbors, or whoever it is out there to say, man, you're blessed. What is going on in your life? How do you have such joy in the face of such joy? Do our, do our neighbors know that? I sometimes worry that what the world sees in Christians isn't that different from what they see in and amongst themselves. Right? It is, it is often the charge against the church that we are just a bunch of hypocrites and that we have, we're no different from them in the way we live our lives, in the way we express uh, our lives. And it begs the question, I think, is this, maybe, maybe does, is this because God isn't loving and faithful that Christians sometimes don't act all that different from the world around them? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. God, of course, is loving and faithful. No, I wonder if it's because as Christians, at least in some measure, we either fail to recognize or see God's love and faithfulness, or, or even, in, in, even in light of it, when we see it, we fail to trust that he will continue to be faithful. Okay. And so, we don't live lives that reflect or point to his faithfulness. Maybe like Abraham, when he went to uh, that land and he was worried about Abimelech taking Sarah uh, by force, lied and said, just tell her, sort of lied, right, because he was kind of my sister, um, that Sarah was his sister. We fear man more than we fear and trust the Lord. I wonder. Abimelech's first encounter with Abraham was a messy affair. In fact, it was Abimelech who chided Abraham and blamed Abraham for the precarious situation that he found himself in. Abraham didn't, in that situation, didn't fear God, but feared man. Now, this situation, of course, turned around and Abimelech got a front row seat to who God was. And after Abraham prayed, a prayer bathed in faith, Abimelech was healed and the wombs of the women were opened. And Sarah and the seed of the woman were preserved. And Sarah gives birth to Isaac. 
And here was Abimelech, a front row witness saying, God is with Abimelech. God is for Abimelech. And I think the question for us is, if God is for Abimelech, or for Abraham, is God not for us? And if God is for us, who can be against us? What happens when we live life before a watching world full of faith? What, what does it look like for us to, to live life in, before a watching world that has absolute trust and faith in the living God rather than in the fear of man? What does that look like? Now, I'll, I'll be, at the outset, I'll say this. The, the world may still hate you. There's no, there's no guarantees that it will have any effect other than by the grace of the Holy Spirit on somebody's life, but the world may still hate you. They may ridicule and persecute you in some places in the world. It might cost you your very life, or you might be imprisoned, or something terrible might happen to you. But when in the face of such things, and even in the face of much lesser trials as we face, when we put our hope and trust in the Lord, what effect does that have in the world around us? How does that sort of burst out into the world? How does it bear witness to the truth that God is for us, God is with us, that we can trust Him? It's one thing to think about declaring not only how God preserves us in the face of trials and hostility, but what about just generally? Are we talking about how God has blessed us? Are we counting those blessings and saying, look at all that the Lord has done for us. Look how the Lord has cared for us. Are we declaring to the world, to our neighbors, our friends, the power of His grace? I suggested a minute ago that maybe he was at the party. We have no reason to believe that. We don't know. But why not? Why not? Could that have not been the impetus for Abimelech wanting to make a treaty? Abraham is so excited that he sends out invitations to everyone, particularly to the most significant and important person in the community, saying, come out and celebrate what God has done. Who knows? It was Abimelech looking on Abraham's life, and he can't help but say, God is with you all that you do. Some of us may think we don't have any great testimony to share. After all, you know, have miraculous birth at the age of 90, something like that. That's pretty remarkable. But let me suggest to you, any act of God in your life, which is just about every day, every minute of every day, is a testament to his love and faithfulness. Christian, the Lord has blessed you that you might be a blessing. What does that look like? Go and share what the Lord has done. As the promise was to Abraham, I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, so the promise is for us as well. And what is the outworking of this kind of faith that is lived out before a watching world? Well, one thing that strikes me about the account is that the treaty is built on the willingness of both parties 
to not be false to one another, but to be kind to one another. Did you notice this here in, in, in the text? It says, at that time, Abimelech and, and Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you are uh, One interesting thing to note about this word here for kindness is it is that glorious word, chesed. You know, we see that mostly associated with God's loving kindness towards his people, that steadfast love. But here, Abimelech is saying, this kind of kindness that is faithful to the end, that is not false, let us have this kind of relationship with one another. What Abimelech desires is that this kindness would flow out of each of them and that there would be no falsehood. And you remember, Abraham was false to him at the beginning. So this is kind of a, a chastisement on Abraham a little bit here, saying, let that not be the mark of our relationship. Let it be this kind of steadfast love towards one another. But yesterday, I, I guess it was two days ago now, um, I came, I went down to my, I don't know, was it just yesterday? I went down to my car, and I went to get in it, um, and I recognized that there was a big dent in the side of the door. Now, this is car number two that's been hit uh, in the past couple of months. And, you know, I could see what had happened. Our car was parked sort of back up to a neighbor's driveway, and likely that neighbor backed into us. Now, they haven't come to us to say anything yet, um, and that that's something I'm, Aaron and I are wrestling with. How do, how do we... How do we love our neighbor in, in this situation? But I called the car insurance uh, agent of mine, and I was just kind of asking him, you know, how should I deal with this? And he was very cynical. He says, they're never going to own up to it. They're never going to own up to it. And I thought, yeah, that's the way of the world, right? That's the way of the world. And the temptation for me is to kind of, Treat my neighbor similarly. Well, if they're not going to come to me, I'm going to be all I'm going to be all up in their face, and I'm going to I'm going to think the worst of them. You know, we're going to have a relationship here now built sort of falsely. We're not we're not considering each other about kindness and love and care for one another. This is all sort of I, this is all very fresh and real for me and Aaron. We're trying to wrestle through this. How do we love our neighbors and yet deal with the situation? How do we show hesed in this? How do we not do what the world does? Well, we can be a blessing as we show forth our trust in God who is for us. And we do this by declaring His faithfulness. Uh, but secondly, I think we do this as we consider uh, what it means to live life before uh, our neighbor, in this case, say with my current neighbor, my literal neighbor, and do as Paul says, as far it depends as it depends on me to live peaceably with all. All right, cool. Okay, what does that look like? So, so if we're to live life before our neighbors because God is with us and God is for us, 
And we can display God's with us and for us through that kind of kindness that he shows to us in the world. What does it look like for us to live peaceably with all? As far as it depends on us. Well, as first it's important to point out here that Abraham is a little on edge with this king. You'll notice in the text that he says that, yes, I'll make this covenant with you. Notice here he says, yes, I will do this. Um, but, but it's interesting because even though he says, yes, I will swear, is the word, Abraham says, yes, I will swear, or I will swear, but he immediately moves into reproving Abimelech. He's not happy. He's, he's, he's actually on edge with this king. He's willing to make this treaty, but there's, there's something between them that they have to deal with. Notice how terse his answer is. Uh, Abimelech is all love and kindness and saying, look at all that the Lord has done. Let's make, kind, let's make a treaty between you and me. Let's, let's show kindness to one another. Let's not be false. And all Abraham says, I will swear. And then he immediately enters into reproof. Now, taking the illustration of the car again, <laughs> just because it's on my mind. There is something significant about addressing an issue. Right. We, it, 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 you know, on one hand, my Christian sentiment is like, well, we can just overlook it. And Aaron is like, overlook the fact that they hit our car? Like, yeah, it's probably something I need to address. And this is something we see here. How do you live peaceably and yet have there's, there's something between the two parties. It's hard. It's hard. Living peaceably doesn't always mean ignoring offense. It can't be. There, now, there's plenty of offenses we can overlook, right? There's, there's plenty of little offenses that in Christian charity we can overlook. We can, we can say love covers a multitude of sins. But some things are significant. Such is the case here with Abraham. Uh, we'll see that some of Abimelech's servants had seized a well which Abraham had dug. Water in the Negev was a scarcity. It was necessary, not just for their own life, but for the life of their livestock. This was their livelihood. They needed water. And here, some of Abimelech's servants had come and just taken the well away, like a bunch of of thieves, they just come and take it away from him. And the text says that Abraham reproved Abimelech. Abimelech. Now, this is quite a remarkable thing considering who Abimelech was. Remember, Abimelech came to Abraham to make a treaty, and he didn't do it kind of uh, um, sort of like, oh, Abraham, would you be willing to make a treaty with me? He brought the commander of his army with him. And said, hey, let's make a treaty. Right? Now, did he recognize Abraham was significantly blessed by God, that the hand of God was upon him, and that he wanted to be in a good relationship with Abraham, lest God lash out against Abimelech? For sure. But on the other hand, Abimelech had an army. Right? But here, Abraham goes to Abimelech and reproves him. He addresses the issue. He could not enter a treaty of kindness where there was already something between them. Something significant. 
And Abimelech and his, you know, sort of the loquaciousness and his sort of, I don't know, he just seems like the kind of king that wants to be friends with everybody. He, he says, well, I didn't even know. Nobody came to me. Nobody told me about this. Now, did Abimelech know or not know? Well, he, Abraham took him at his word that he didn't know. Um, but he is the king. Should he have known? Probably. That's probably something he should have known. <clears throat> but either way, it doesn't matter. Despite the significance of the offense, Abraham does something very unexpected. Look at this. You know, again, bringing up the car situation, if I go to my neighbor and I say, uh, I think you may have backed into our car, um, show me the money. <laughs> or really, show me your insurance card and we'll work this out, you know, the way society does. But what does Abraham do? What does Abraham do in this situation? Abraham, rather than ask for recompense, maybe maybe he had lost cattle. Maybe some of his livestock had died because he couldn't get them to a watering hole quick enough. Who knows? We don't know the situation, but no matter, it created some form of hardship for him. And he might justly ask, not only for the well back, but for some sort of remuneration, right? They're, 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 you know, Abimelech, You've taken my water supply. We've been suffering without water. You know, yes, you know, give me back the water supply, but give me something in return for my hardship. It's kind of how, you know, lawsuits work, right? He doesn't do that. It's really interesting. He does not do that. Rather than ask for something in return, he gives a gift. He gives a gift. The text says he took sheep and oxen, and gave them to Abimelech. Sheep and oxen gave them to Abimelech, and they made a covenant there. That's very curious. Now, on the one hand, Abimelech is a bit at, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Abraham is a bit at Abimelech's mercy. They're not equal parties of this covenant relationship they're making. Remember, you remember Feichel, the army commander, sitting there. He is a king. But on the other hand, he had already reproved Abimelech, so it's not inconceivable to think Abraham would press his advantage. Or at the very least, just ask for the well back and make the covenant. But instead, he blesses Abimelech with a gift. Friends, what does it mean for us to live peaceably with our neighbors as much as it is in our control? First, it doesn't mean being a doormat. Erin is getting, getting anxious because she's thinking, well, are you going to go talk to our neighbor? I need to talk to our neighbor. I need to talk to our neighbor. It doesn't mean being a doormat. Abraham was no doormat. He confronted a king. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean doing as the world does. Tit for tat. Taking advantage or revenge of the situation or not caring about the well-being of those who might offend us or who might harm us. Not thinking firstly about ourselves, but thinking about how we can love and care for our neighbor. 
It means being a blessing. Forgiving offense. In the words of Paul, heaping the burning coals of kindness. The context in Romans 12, from which this statement comes, as far as it depends on you, but peaceably with all, says this. So this is the context here in Romans 12. It says, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Of course, that's a quote Paul's making from the book of Proverbs. But he closes with this. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our call. That's our call. But you might be saying there, but Rob, you are, Rob, how is it fair or just? How is this fair or just, right? Isn't God a God of justice and a God of, of righteousness? How can we allow such injustice to happen to us? If someone wrongs us, shouldn't we seek justice? Some of you may be feeling that. Oh, it, it is good to seek justice. Justice is good. But be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. What enables us to bless others in the face of being wronged, in other words, to overcome evil with good, as Paul says, is to recognize how much we ourselves deserve God's justice, God's judgment. And yet, the Lord Jesus overcame the evil and injustice done to him of our sin and our rebellion against him by taking it and carrying it to the cross. He took upon himself the death that we deserve. That's justice. Every time we think about the injustices done to us, we ought to remember the injustices done to the Lord Jesus. The Lord is judge. And none shall escape his judgment. So knowing that, and knowing that we have been shown mercy and forgiveness through Jesus, our hearts ought to open up to show such mercy and forgiveness to others. How was Paul and Silas able to sing and pray in a prison? They were beaten and imprisoned. And here was a guard who was over them. And they could have run out saying, look, the Lord has set us free. And they stay. And they bless the jailer. Abraham understood that God was with him. That he had blessed him immeasurably. He knew that God would fulfill his promise of the land and did not need to worry ultimately about this well. And so it freed Abraham up to give Abimelech this gift as a token and pledge of their covenant relationship and to establish peace between them. As you consider your relationships, Especially as you consider how you might live peaceably with those outside the household of God. Consider what the Lord Jesus did for you to make peace with you while you were yet his enemies. It changes the way you look at others. What it looks like to show love to your neighbor who always 
complains about your noisy dogs or who has encroached over your property line? What does it look like to live peaceably with the coworker who takes advantage of your diligence and hard work? What does it look like to be a blessing and to bring peace? I realize that it doesn't always mean overlooking or ignoring offense, but even in the way you respond to it, you are to show the kindness of God. Remember, forgiveness is costly. It costs you something. Just as it costs our Lord Jesus. Not only can we be a blessing as we show forth our trust in God who is for us, declaring the faithfulness of our God, but we can be a blessing by living peaceably with everyone and as much as it is up to us. But the thing that makes this possible is that it is the everlasting God who is our God. This is what enables Abraham to make this covenant with Abimelech. The everlasting God is on our side. Abraham does something strange after giving the gift of sheep and oxen. He takes seven ewe lambs and he sets them apart. And Abimelech is confused as much as I'm confused. And Abimelech says, what, what's up with these seven ewe lambs? Why did you set them apart? And Abraham says, well, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug the well. Now that seems, okay, this is very confusing. Why, why do you need these seven ewe lambs set apart as a gift to Abimelech to be a sign that this is a well that Abraham dug? It's a, it's, it's a little strange. We have to, we have to admit it's, or it's lost to us in the history and uh, in, in, in the ancient world that we don't live in. Abimelech is confused. We're a little confused, but what does it mean? Well, on the one hand, it's quite simple in its meaning. Abraham is solidifying the covenant with Abimelech that this well was his, that he dug it, that there's no question of dispute on this matter, so that the matter is laid to rest. His servants will no longer go after the well. The well is Abraham's well. These seven lambs are representative of that oath. Now, the Hebrew is really interesting here because the word for oath and the word for seven are uh, very similar. And so seven is, of course, that heavenly number of completeness or perfection. And here Abraham is saying, let's make a covenant by sure oath sign, this absolute sign of this seven ewe lambs. And why ewe lambs? Well, ewe lambs were, of course, the best of the best because what could they do? Well, they could birth more lambs. Right? They, were, they were valuable. And so here's this sign of, 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 of perfection or completeness saying, this may, may this covenant be established and may this stand as a sign to that completeness of the covenant. Abraham wanted to solidify his covenant beyond doubt that this was his well. Now, why is it so important that it's his well? Well, this well was like a flag planted in the land of promise. Abraham was clinging to the promises of God that he would indeed fulfill the promises of the land promise, right? So we have the birth of Isaac, and then we'll have the sacrifice of Isaac. And in between those two is this little story about Abimelech and the covenant treaty, but it was about the land. And here was this land of promise that Abraham says, I don't own anything right now, but I have dug a well. 
and I'm going to use this as a marker that I know that what God has promised, He will fulfill. It was, a, it was a testament, not just to Abimelech and their relationship, but it was a testament to his faith that God would do what he said he would do. And not only did he dig this well, but he planted a tree. And the trees throughout the Bible, of course, are signs. And one of the signals that they sign is God's provision and God's faithfulness and God's life-giving nature. And this terebinth tree, which you can ask Dave, Spencer about trees. I don't know much about the terebinth, but Dave Spencer's a tree expert. And as far as I know, it's a long-living hardwood tree that is evergreen. And it's tall, and it provides shade and food for animals. And it pointed to that promise, to that sure promise that God would provide the land. Yet the very last verse, Abraham, we're told that Abraham continued to be a soldier in the land of the Philistines. Here was Abraham clinging to the promises of God with faith that God would accomplish what he promised. And what does he do? He clings to the everlasting God. To the everlasting God. This is a one of those one of those beautiful moments that we see a name of God here. El Olam. God everlasting. I think it, it, the, the writer Moses here is saying, this is a picture of what God will do. What he has done, what he will do, and what will be accomplished. And if we go all the way to the, to the, to the book of Hebrews, we read this. And then I want to close just by considering briefly what it, what it means for us. But in Hebrews chapter 11... We read in the, that great uh, history of the faith uh, of God's people. We read this concerning Abraham. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land for which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When we consider what it means to live in this world, we need to remind ourselves, like Abraham, we are people of the promise. That this home that we live in, this world that we kind of build our, our life in is not our home. But that we look forward to a place that God is preparing. A heavenly home in glory with Him. And a new heavens and a new earth. Where all the blessings of God will be revealed in their fullness. And so what does that mean for us today? Well... I think it means that as we are blessed and as we consider the blessing of our heavenly home, that we can be a blessing to those around us and share the hope of glory, the hope for which we are headed. And hopefully invite them in. Invite them in.